Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Father, we thank you now that uh, your goodness and grace that leads and it guides us. You are sovereign. You are in control. God, even in moments when we feel like we're out of control, those are our best moments to trust you, God. And I, I just ask that you would allow us to lean in in this moment, God, to what you're speaking to us. Let our ears spiritually be open. Let our hearts, Lord, uh, reflect what you're wanting to say to us today, God. I am just praying now for healing to be found in this place, for freedom to be found in this place, God, as we lean in and depend upon you more fully. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to take my words today and divide them as we each have need. It's in your name I pray. Amen. And so a little bit of what we've already said is Jesus has given us a, not so much a what to pray. He's not given us a, a verbatim um, kind of memorization of, of, of a form here, but he's, he's given us a model. He's given us a paradigm. He's given us a, a perspective, a way of looking at how do we approach God? What do we acknowledge? Is there an order? Are there things that we need to remember? And, and I feel like that's more of what Jesus has given us. And, and he says, so when you pray, when you come to me, don't be like the hypocrites. That's what we looked at in week one and praying in places and ways simply to be seen by others. He says, you will have received your reward. But instead, allow your motives to be sifted by finding that secret place where no one will see you except God your Father. And when you pray, don't keep on rambling, thinking the more words you use that God will hear you. But instead, know that He already knows what you need before you ask. And so as we dive back into the Lord's Prayer, we saw last week that we looked at who He is and that He is a rewarder of those who do seek Him, but that He is holy, He is our Father, He is a King, and He is bringing a kingdom. And we get to participate in that very nature, the divine nature. We're partakers in that, according to, uh, according to what Peter writes. And so I don't know if, if you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer corporately together, or if you've ever even been put on the spot to pray that prayer I want you to catch what sometimes can happen when you try to do that off the cuff. Would you turn this up for me, Bruce? It'll be on channel, the far channel. There you go. Will you turn it way up? This is so good. This is great from the campaign. Our Father, Mark, who is under heaven, Alan Fair, who is on name, the Five, the Kingdom, the Magic Kingdom, as it is on the earth in the Give us this day our daily pizza. Forgive us. This is great. Pass. Forgive us for trespassing and do not lead us to the temptation <laughs> because we are tired of them and their dancing. And deliver us from evil with your mighty sword and without them forever and ever and ever. Wow. 
So I don't know if that's what your Lord prayer, you know, your Lord's prayer some, sometimes sounds like. And there's so many great prayers. How many of you have ever looked up Will Ferrell and all his prayers, right? He's Ricky Bobby, right? When he's Ricky Bobby, dear baby Jesus, one of the best, right? And so there's so many different ways why we approach God. And even when we think it's just about reciting the words and we don't get those right sometimes, we realize that he's just reminding us that those who ask will receive, those who seek will find, those who knock, the door's going to be open. And if we'll come to him, he is going to show up in a powerful way. So would you join me today as we just walk through these verses together? I'm going to get us right on to verse nine here. Here we go. Say this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that's where I want us to land today on those last three verses. You see the first three that we looked at last week talked about God's name, who he is, how he is holy, who he is our father and that we come to him collectively recognizing that we are in this together, our father, who art in heaven. So we see where he is located. We see who he is. We see that he is holy, that he is other than us, but that he also has a kingdom that he is looking at bringing to earth. He has a will and a desire that we get to participate in while we're, we're kind of traversing this journey of life. We get to participate in seeing it come through our lives, through this blip on the radar that we get to be a part of what he's doing. And if we're going to see his name made holy and submit to his reign and do his will, it would be impossible for us to pray this with sincerity without committing ourselves to it fully. And so hopefully as we see this, we see that that Jesus has been after the crowd that he's talking to, both the religious and the non-religious together. He's been after their heart. He's been after that what's behind your heart feeds into your lifestyle and that the way you live, hopefully it is congruent with what you're saying and what you're desiring. And so as we enter this last three, uh, ver- these last three verses, the last three segments here, as he breaks it down, he says, let me get to it real quick. I want to get start here in verse 11. He says, give us this day our daily bread. We're immediately reminded of something so huge that he is shifting from who God is to what we need. We're praying now about our personal needs and, and bread here, it can symbolize so many things. It's more than just food, but it is literally everything that sustains us. It is everything that sustains you in your life. You think about what you need to just be sustained in life. You, you need a social circle. You need outlets where you're, you know, connecting with folks. You need, you know, some sort of entertainment that you enjoy, hobby. I mean, there's so many things that sustain your life more than just what you eat. But that is important too. And we recognize that God give us today everything that we need for this day everything that we need to live this day fully, Lord, would you be the provider of it? We are recognizing that's who you are. But if Jesus has already told us that he knows what we need before we even ask, then why do we ask? Why do we ask for daily provisions? Why do we ask for forgiveness? Why even ask for the removal of temptation or testing if he already knows what we need? I would say that this prayer isn't so much about God, but about us. It isn't because he didn't know that we needed those things, but it's for us to recognize that we need him in all things. 
And sometimes it's so easy to forget because the, the asking of the Lord for our daily provision doesn't remove the fact that we still have a responsibility to work. That we have a responsibility to even recognize that our very ability to work also comes from Him, our sustainer of all things. That every good gift, even our health, even our, our physical talents, anything that we have that you use day in and day out to provide for your family, they all come from Him above. We are in need of him to even be able to do what we do. And, and I see the fishermen that, that he's talking to that are closest to him because as, as Jesus has, has kind of embarked upon this sermon on the mount, there's a huge crowd, but his disciples stepped a little bit closer. And, and I see Jesus as he's saying this, kind of looking at Peter, who literally depends upon God for his daily needs. That if he doesn't have a good catch that day, it's not going to be a, a good dinner that night. If he doesn't have sus sustenance right then and there in those morning hours, then what is he going to have for that week? It's, it's literally a daily need that he's believing the Lord for. And he's going out and, and he works hard. But yet Jesus is teaching him, you're not the provider of yourself. And I know sometimes in the American model, we literally become so independent because that is wired into our culture that, hey, I am literally, if I don't do this, if I don't pull my bootstraps up, if I don't figure this out on my own, it's not going to get done. And there's a tension there. There's a line that, yes, we depend upon God and there's a responsibility for us to partner with him and to work together. But if it doesn't happen because God doesn't give us the strength, we won't even be able to move forward in our part. It is you come to him because the spirit draws you. You can't even work alongside him because he literally gives us all the strength that we need to do what we need for today. And so we depend upon him, not just for what he gives us, but to be able to do our part in responsible, in a responsible way, recognizing that he is our provider. But even more than that, even more than that, he is the giver of all good things. And I think about this quote here. This was found, um, is when Martin Luther passed, this is not Martin Luther King, this is Martin Luther, the one from the 1500s that would nail the, the 95 Theses upon the wall there. Um, and and that, if you know, that was actually done on Halloween. That's where it all kind of originates, right? Because he did not stand for a lot of the Catholic holidays, and he wanted to do that before All Saints Day, which was November 1st. And thus, somehow, I saw somebody, did you guys look at uh, Facebook where they actually nailed 95 Reeses? on a door instead of 95 theses. I don't know. Maybe that's, that's actually more accurate. I'm not sure. But this was found after he died. It was a little scribble that, that was barely legible, kind of wadded up and next to his body that they found. And it says, we are beggars. That is true. And as people began to wonder what he meant by this, they, they realized this was so true for his whole theology. He had hard won his theological perspective in his day that we are utterly dependent for God and his grace in all things. And he, he fought the, the theological slant of his day to say that we are literally beggars for everything from God. Our ability to trust, our ability to believe, to even the faith that we live from, it comes from and ends with him and him alone. And this tied so much on a lot of the things that he taught on the Lord's Prayer. When Martin Luther would teach on the Lord's Prayer, there's some of the chief themes that he talked about was that far from being self-sustaining, that we are needy creatures, that we are reliant on energy from a source outside of ourselves if we are to go on living. And so like beggars, we only hope for food and shelter from someone other than ourselves. The compassion of another is what he called it. 
And so when Jesus teaches us, give us today our daily bread, he is trying to train us that our relationship with God would look different than our relationship relying upon ourselves, that we would be utterly dependent upon him for everything, that he is the giver and we are in need of his gift and dependent upon him. You know, I think back because I'll be honest, trusting God for my daily provision is not always easy for me. I remember when Candy and I first got married, she was working an insurance job. She had moved here from North Carolina, transferred her license over, took the test and um, helping me while I finished graduate school. We got married and I went straight into graduate school and she was kind of the breadwinner for those first few years while I finished up seminary. And the goal was, we're not going to talk about starting a family until I'm able to really start a, a career and finish seminary. And, and we felt like that was missions. We would be overseas somewhere. I got my master's in missiology, church planning and discipleship. And we thought, okay, now it's time to, to move forward. But as we started a family and, and, and Katie became pregnant with Ellie, I saw more and more her desire to want to stay at home to be someone that raised our kids day in and day out. She she wasn't comfortable and, and okay with just sending them to even a home daycare. She wanted to be at home. But I wasn't at a place where financially we could make that shift, where she could stay home. We needed her income. We, we were relying upon it heavily. I had moved to another job. I was managing um, a branch for a credit union uh, here in town. And it just wasn't, it wasn't what we needed right at, right at that moment. But God wasn't so much interested in just satisfying the desires of her heart, but how we got there. He was interested in the journey. And he, I saw that he got us on this path where we had to completely rely upon him because Candy immediately began looking for, well, maybe I could work part-time. She found a part-time insurance job. And by the time we figured out how much it was going to cost her and gas to keep driving out there, still paying for daycare three days a week, we were breaking even. It, it was a wash. It wasn't really going to help. And so God in, in his sovereignty we weren't involved in ministry. I was, I was managing a credit union. We hadn't really hit that stride again. There were things in our heart that I felt like I'd kind of put on the back burner. I was more focused at this moment on how do I provide for my family than follow the call of God that he's put in our heart. And I finally answered that call, just like someone is right now. Yes, Lord. That was perfect timing. Whoever, whoever called you, George. And so I realized that here I was, I was literally looking for other, other ways to make more money so that I could meet the need of my wife and allow her to stay at home. I was, my brother's a drug rep, so I was looking in that industry. I had applied, I interviewed, but I knew I wasn't going to be happy. I wasn't going to be satisfied. I was satisfying one area, but not this other area. And so at that time, my mom, um, she, she realized that she actually was facing some, some major medical difficulties. This was her first round, um, of chemo that she was going to go through. And Kiko offered us a position to come in there and, and work with the youth and kind of help with some other areas. And I, I, we, I just wasn't feeling it. I wasn't involved in ministry at all. I wasn't doing a whole lot. We were maybe hosting one little thing on Friday nights for some, for some youth, but we just weren't in that vein either. And, and I just, I wasn't in the, in the right place. I felt like to really say yes to that in that moment. And, and it just wasn't in our heart. We felt like God was going to take us overseas. But even then, how do I provide for my family and do that? There were just so many things in the air. And I had a hard time saying, God, would you give me today our daily bread? I couldn't figure it out on paper. I couldn't figure it out. God and his sovereignty though, continued that journey for us. And we finally ended up in a place where he would both get my heart back in the right place. And financially, we would take that leap of faith because it still never added up for us. It still wasn't, we're like, 
it might be close. We might be able to do it. We might jump off this ledge and, and be really close to the other edge, but we got to take it. We felt like it was the right season for us to take that jump of faith. And so this was when Candy became pregnant with Judah and she did not want to have any more kids. The last thing she wanted to do was to have two kids that she couldn't t- stay home with. She said, we've already got one. And I felt the stress of this. I felt the weight of it. I didn't know what I could do about it. I felt helpless in this situation. But finally, God allowed some some different things to shift where there was an opportunity at a church where my brother was attending and I had gone before earlier in my life. And there was a position just for a middle school pastor. They big church, over a thousand people. So they had just a pastor for middle school that was full time. It was a four-month process, Meshach. I applied for this job. We made it down to the final two over a period of four months. Four months. I was real excited at the beginning, like the first month. By month three, three and a half, I was like, man, I don't even know. I don't even know if I want the job if they offer it to me. It was that long of a period of time. But what it did for me is it got my heart back focused towards what God had originally called me to. It got me back on the path spiritually where I needed to be. This was part of his journey. And so when I, I realized that it was down to the final two and I didn't get the job, I wasn't the one that was offered the job, but I was back spiritually in the place where I needed to be. And so God used that whole moment so that when I was to shift back to Kiko and, and fill in some areas there, I was ready and Kiko was ready and we were at the right place. And I knew that it was the Lord. And I know now that I'm in the seat that I'm supposed to be there. It's grown into so much more since I started in over 10 years ago. But God used all of that. And then finally for Candy and I have to take a leap of faith for her to be able to stay home because it was a lateral move. It still didn't look like it was going to add up on paper, but we had to engage our faith with his provision. We had to work alongside of what he was trying to do in us as much as he was trying to do for us. And when we did, we, we realized, God, we're dependent upon you. We are beggars. That is true. We're dependent upon you for all things. But he was more interested, not so much in the provision for our life, but his image within our life. And he used a really difficult process for some stresses and some things we didn't know how we're going to work out so that he could see that we're dependent upon him fully. And I know that you guys have probably walked through so so many experiences that it's not so much about what is happening, but who is doing the happening and who is transforming what is inside your heart to look more like his. And so God takes us down so many journeys and we see at the end, yes, maybe there was a desire of our heart that was fulfilled because he had put it there in the first place, but it all comes back to, it comes from him, it goes through him and it goes back to him. It is worship. Our lives are worship. And he's so bent on on seeing that everything he provides for us, uh, for us, that we depend upon him fully. And I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know what you're depending on, on him fully for today. If it's finances, if it's your health, if it's relationships, if it's, if it's mental, thing, if, it's, if it's just some sort of reprieve from the things of this world, I want to remind you that he is the one that provides for us each and every day. He is our provider in all things. And as we move through this, we see that he's not only our provider, but he's also our forgiver. He is our great partner. It says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors in verse 12. And these last three verses here aren't like the previous two in the Lord's prayer. They're all connected, even in the Greek with an and. 
with a chi. And so they're, they're connected that these first ones have acknowledged who God is, but these last ones are just acknowledging what he does for us. And in our relationship of dependence upon him, he connects them in this string. Matthew does as he writes this, is that we're dependent upon you for what we need as our sustainer in life, in forgiveness, and as even we face testings and temptation. Testing is really a better word. But we see here the word debt is used. And I want to give you a little bit of uh, kind of a little information here on that word that is used for debt. And I know a lot of people get up and preach and say they're not a scholar on Greek, and I'm not either. Um, but I love to get into the original languages and, and took a number of years just on Koine Greek. And, and I think it's really interesting what this word will tell us about what Jesus is teaching us. The word used here for debts is ophelema. And ophelema is only used twice in the whole New Testament, here and in Romans. And you see in Romans that it actually is related to more of how it's translated. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. This is talking about Abraham and, and his relationship with God, that if he were to uh, receive righteousness based on his works and not faith, then, then God just paid him for what he had done. It was a wage. It was an exchange. There was this debt to debt relationship, so to speak, as we have talked about before. And Jesus uses this same word here, ophelema, to say, and forgive us our obligations, our debts, these things that we owe, as we also forgive those who owe us. And he spins this word, not so much to say that you financially or physically, you owe God, but morally, God, we come to you and we owe a debt because we need forgiveness. We can't make a sacrifice and, and expect that to cover and pay for it. We recognize, God, you are the one that initiated this whole process. You are the one that gives forgiveness. And we come to you, God, because we, we have debts. We have obligations we can't pay. But we are also going to, because you have forgiven us in a way that we can't comprehend, forgive those that have obligations and debts against us. And I love how Jesus uses this word, not commonly used, to really put it in that framework because we don't want to be in that debt-to-debt relationship with others where we're holding it over their head. We, we, we talked about that when we were in our relationship series where there's no room for, for love to be expressed. There's no room when there's not forgiveness to even be given because you're, you're just meeting a standard. You're just meeting a requirement. And God is saying, you have to depend upon me for that requirement to be met and now release others the same way I've released you. And I think it's a beautiful picture. It's less of the, the quid pro quo, I think of, hey, I'll forgive you when you forgive them. I think is a lot of times we, we use these words. I think instead it is what the Latin would call a sin qua, qua non, which is literally, let me read what some scholars would say about this. It says that once our eyes have been open to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison, just trifling, completely trifling. So when we see what God has forgiven us, these offenses that we have been forgiven against him, the things that others have against us just seem to be, they're, they're kind of null and void at that point. Look at what God has forgiven us. That's what this is more of a statement of saying, I believe. And it says, if on the other hand, we have exaggerated the view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. 
And I think that's really important to understand is that oftentimes when we have trouble forgiving others, it's because we don't fully understand the expression of God's forgiveness to us. I don't know about you. I don't have a hard time relating to the fact that I'm a sinner. I I think I'm reminded of it every day that I need God and his mercy, that I depend upon his grace to empower me to even live the life that he's called me to live. But where I have a hard time is then relating that to how I relate to others. And Jesus is saying here, those won't be two different things. Because if you continue to look at what I've done for you, you'll have no trouble extending it to others. What happens is when we're no longer looking at the goodness of God and how he's extended it to us, but we're looking at the the measures of man and how they have failed us. And when we're looking down here, we'll be sure to not look back at ourselves in reflection of the one that has forgiven us much. To him who has been forgiven much is required much. You think about the 10 that were, that were, uh, that were healed and, and how many came back to celebrate and one, one recognized, wow, he's changed my life forever. He's changed my life forever. Look at how my life and the, and the others went on their way. And I always wonder what happened to the others? Where did they go? What happened to the ones that had been forgiven much? What happened to the ones who had been healed much? And hopefully we see that in reflection of that, our lives have been forgiven much. We, we owe praise and gratitude. We can't repay him, but there should be a natural response in our lives. And hopefully it trickles to how we treat others, how we extend that forgiveness to the debts that they have against us. And as we, we go into this last one, I love that we see that God is not only the provider for our sustenance, but also the provider for our forgiveness and then also our deliverance. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And there's a couple of ways that I think this, this verse has been understood traditionally. And I'm going to add a third one this morning. Um, and I don't think I'm putting too much tension on the scripture. I'm going to show you how I believe it's within the context of how Matthew is using this in the sermon. And traditionally, this is understood as, oh, Jesus, would you, as you're teaching us on prayer, not lead us into the temptation to sin? And he's, and that we're asking him to deliver us from such evil plans that the enemy would have for us to fall into the traps of sin. And I think that's a valid prayer to pray, but I'm not so sure that's what Jesus is teaching us here. And a second way that this is often understood is that the word translated temptation is almost always translated as testing. The word that's used here for temptation is almost always used for testing. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Doesn't James say that we would be able to consider it pure joy anytime you're, you're tested? Why would Jesus tell us to pray that we would not be tested? And I think that this is related to something a little bit different, and that's why. I think that previously we see in Matthew's gospel, Jesus was tempted. He was tested 40 days there in the wilderness. And then what did he use to combat the enemy? What did he use? He he quoted the scripture, right? He used the word. And I think Jesus is even showing us here a model of using the word to understand its power and to allow us to live congruent lives with that word, with the scripture. But he was both tested and tempted, but relied, he was dependent upon God and his word to overcome and deliver him. And I believe there's a merge of the two here that I think really give us a fuller understanding. By But testing can have literally various purposes. It can mean that we're being refined. It can mean that there's a strength in our character that is going to be produced from a a season of testing or even maybe an, an enticement to sin. But I think the results that God is after is the purity of our heart. 
is being confident in him, is growing in faith and seeing that he will help us overcome anything and everything that he allows us to walk through that we're not alone. And as a result, the words literally can slide over, not so much from those negative connotations of temptations to sin, but I believe more to see that he is testing us so that we see a positive result of dependence upon him who sees us through all things. And Bruce, do you have a moment to come up and play? I want to end with the third, the final view that I believe this applies to us in the context of what the scripture lays out for us. Because I believe that I can't help but see it in in hint of the attachment to what comes before it and what follows it. That Jesus is literally saying to us, at the beginning, he's given us the Beatitudes for the kingdom. And he's shown us what his kingdom principles are going to be set upon. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. And then he talks about how he's coming to fulfill the law. He talks about anger, lust, divorce. You look up to those. He's talked about a lot of things and he's trying to distinguish the way that the religious have lived versus what my kingdom, my kingdom principles are for you. And he's saying here, I am your provider in all things. And what I'm asking for you to pray for is that you would not be tempted to fall prey to hypocrisy, even in the, the measure of forgiveness that I've come to give you that you would not fall prey, that your motives in walking through this life, that you wouldn't fail the test, that what I'm extending to you, you wouldn't extend to others. And I'll tell you why I believe that because the very next verses, he continues to go back to the topic of, but if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. And then he talks about, and each one of these are related to the three verses we just looked at today. He talks about laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He talks about not being anxious for anything because literally God is the one who is going to give us what we need for today. He talks about how, look at the lilies of the field. They don't even have to provide for themselves. The beauty that that is given in them is given them by their father in heaven. How much more so you? How much more so you? In what you're walking through and what your needs are right now, how much more so you, our father in heaven, meet us where we're at and the needs that we have, he already knows them. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Jesus would finish through the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not. Judge not. You don't stand in a place of judgment. Only God does. What you have to give isn't judgment, but forgiveness. What you have received is not judgment. You can only give what you have received, and that's forgiveness and grace and mercy. Judgment is not ours to give, Jesus would say. He says, ask and it will be given. And then he talks about the tree and its fruit and and, and what a, a true house is built upon. And that is doing what God's word has shown us. And I believe that's the test that he would not lead us into, that we would not fail to give what we have received, that we would walk in a way that doesn't fall prey to bitterness, that doesn't fall prey to superiority, that doesn't fall fall prey to seeing ourselves in a, in a manner that isn't the way God has accepted and received us but that we would walk in this life of forgiveness and grace and mercy that he's extended to us. That we would not give into the test or fail the test and give into the temptation of not extending what he has so graciously given us. And this almost goes back to what we talked about. If you missed it, our our series on forgiveness at the end of the relationship tune-up, go back, catch up on some of those because all of this is so intertwined. I believe as the Lord is teaching us about prayer, He is teaching us about how we live in constant communion with Him. And when things are fractured here, 
we can't assume that things are okay here. He's saying these are one and the same. You don't live one life with me and another life with others. These are one that you live one life. Your heart is with me or it's not. Your heart is showing what God has done for you by loving God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. He would say later on Sermon Mount, you, you display that by loving your neighbor. And we walk in the grace and mercy and forgiveness that he has extended to us. This is, as Jesus would say after this prayer, the fulfillment of the law. This is the summary of all things that you would walk as Christ has shown you and extended to you. Would you join me in prayer today? Lord, I believe there are folks that are probably even in this house today that, that are just needing to, uh, to express, God, I'm dependent upon you for all things. Lord, I need your provision today. I need it in, in every area of my life, not just financially, but my health and for my relationships, things in my family. And Lord, there's even some areas of forgiveness, God. I believe that there's folks that are in different areas and could relate to the different lines that we looked at here today, Lord, of depending upon you for all things. Lord, I just want to pray for those that if you're in this house this morning and you would say, Michael, I, I just need some prayer this week. I am walking through a season of, of testing. I'm walking through a season of, of giving and receiving forgiveness. I am walking through a season of just trying to depend upon God and doing my part, but, but really trying to trust him as well. And if that is the season you're walking in, I want to pray with you this morning. Would you just slip up your hand with me? Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Father, I just ask that you would meet those that are acknowledging where they're at in this journey, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and empower us, that, Lord, we would not leave this place downtrodden, beaten down by the circumstances of our life and what has been thrown at us, but, God, we would leave with our heads lifted high and focused upon the one that is exalted forever, that we would see your kingdom come, your will be done, and we would walk in utter dependence with you, God, I thank you for provision in this house, that there's going to be blessing upon blessing. I thank you, God, that we're going to be overwhelmed with forgiveness and a sense of it in our marriages, in our relationships, in our friendships, in our families. God, that there's going to be restoration at workplaces. There's going to be things that have happened that we can't manufacture and fabricate, but God, you divinely can. And so we receive that today, Lord. Help us to walk it out now with those that we're in community and fellowship with here on earth. That is how we see your kingdom come. That is how we see your will be done. And Lord, help these trials and tests that we walk through produce something within us that mimics you, Jesus, that looks like you when we walk away. We see you in all things. And the difficulties of life transform us to your image. You take the bad things and you make something good because we love you. And these are your promises. I thank you for that, God, in this house. May your blessing be upon us. May your face shine here as we come and as we go, Lord, that we would sense your presence in all things. Deepen our communion, Lord, with you and one another. It's in your name I pray. Amen and amen.